0: This morning, we are beginning a new sermon series that will take us through the summer. It's called Living Beyond Ourselves, Loving One Another. It's a series that takes us through the phrases that are known as the one another sayings in Scripture. You may be aware of this, but there are 60 or so different places in the New Testament where we are told how to show love and care for one another in the body of Christ in really specific and practical and tangible ways. So can any of you remember some of those one another sayings? Just shout them out if you can think of one. Love one another? Serve one another? Pray for one another? Forgive one another? Oh, awesome. I love that you know these. Let's pop up the um, This is a uh, kind of a visual summary of the main uh, kind of different themes that are are, uh, in the one another sayings, encourage each other, welcome each other, comfort each other, admonish one another, be kind to one another, don't grumble against one another, and so on. Well, we're taking these 60 or so phrases and pulling them together into 10 major themes, and then we'll be opening those up as we go through the summer. And the first of those, uh, you won't be surprised to hear, is probably the one that's the most familiar to all of us, the first one you mentioned, which is love one another. We encounter that for the first time in John chapter 13, verse 34, but that's not the only place it shows up. And as a matter of fact, just to give you an idea of how central this particular one another is, look at this list. You know, they say... um, if you want to emphasize something, a helpful way to do that is to repeat it. Kind of get the idea, looking at this list, that this is something that is pretty central and pretty important. All right, so let me begin this with you this morning with a thought experiment. Feel free to close your eyes as we do this. I'll tell you when you can open them again. Start off by just picturing yourself alone somewhere. Maybe you're at the lunch table at the cafeteria, or on an elevator, or you're sitting on an airplane, or maybe you're out on your deck behind your house. Or... And there, there's you, you with your gifts and strengths, you with your challenges and shortcomings, you with your thoughts and feelings, you with your past experiences and future hopes, you with your responsibilities and obligations, you with your life circumstances, hard and good. Okay, so just you alone, or me alone, without even introducing anybody else into the picture, and life is already, well, complicated at least, right? And sometimes confusing and confounding, and sometimes just plain difficult. And that's just with me in the picture. And then imagine that into the room comes another person. Not just a person in general, human being, A, but, a particular person with particular tastes and particular opinions and particular needs and particular expectations. Suddenly things become more complicated. Another person with their needs and their challenges and their complexities, with their perspective, their convictions, and then you begin to factor in things like different generations or different ethnicities or different political convictions. And suddenly things get complicated and messy, and and unsettling, and disruptive. And at some level, there rises up in us a response that says, what do I do with you? And then, as if that isn't complicated enough already, just me and another person in a room together, in walks Jesus. Picture Jesus walking in now, and saying to you, love one another. How do you hear that? How do those words strike you? As you stand there with, that, with you and all of your complexity and that other person and all of his or her complexity, how do you hear those words? Do they meet your heart with joy, with expectancy, with trepidation, with hesitation, with qualifications, the, the yes buts that start to rise up, maybe with paralysis or resentment or fear? What goes on inside of you when another person steps into your life and then Jesus steps in and says, love one another? All right, if you close your eyes, you can open them now or you can just keep them closed and enjoy a nap while the rest of us go on. Um, So let me just walk through four possibilities that may have surfaced at least somewhat in you as you thought about that scenario and heard the words, love one another. And let's see how those... Maybe concerns or misgivings are actually addressed by the words that Jesus spoke. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34, a new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another. Okay, so here's one way that these words may well have hit you. Maybe it sounds like Jesus is suddenly taking things in a really strange direction. I mean, think about this. This is... The last night that he's spending with the disciples, these are his last few hours with them. You would expect him to say, all right, from now on, love me, cling to me, be faithful to me, stay connected to me. But he throws in this sideways zinger. Oh, and by the way, love one another. Wait, what? How did those other people come into the picture, Jesus? I thought this whole faith thing was about you and me. Not you and me and him and her and everybody else in the room and everybody else in the church. Frankly, sometimes other people can feel like a complicating distraction in the life of faith. I remember, uh, I've shared this with you before, walking into my the very first day of my uh, doctoral classes with Haddon Robinson, I was so excited to learn from that man over the next three years. And I walked into the room and there were 23 other people also wanting to learn from him. And I remember thinking, I want to be with you, but I don't want to be with the rest of you. Now, it turns out, in God's uh, sense of humor, one of the people in that room was Lon Allison, who became one of my closest friends in life. An incredible gift, as God means for us to discover in one another. But we can start off, we can not be inclined to think that somehow people could be a distraction in the life of faith rather than a benefit in it. But Jesus wants us as he says, love one another to us, he wants us to hear the of courseness of this admonition to us. And here's what I mean by that. By virtue of our Christian faith, we are already connected with every other follower of Christ on the planet. Our shared love for Jesus not only brings us into re- the relationship with the same heavenly father, but it also knits us together in relationship with one another. The other is already in the room and entered the room the moment we said yes to Jesus. The other is already in our life. The other is already at the table, on the elevator, in the seat next to us on the plane. And not only that, but that other is not just an acquaintance or a distant someone. That other is a sibling, a brother or sister to us in an eternal faith family. So the question isn't whether or not we want to be in relationship with one another. It is whether or not we will recognize that unique and amazing spiritual connection that God has already formed between us and respond to that connection in the way that Jesus invites us to. In the Christian faith, there are no only children. No one is an only child. Yes, it is true that that Through Jesus, God loves each one of us as though we were his only child. It actually says something like that in the Greek in one passage in 1 John. But we are not only children. We were born into a family with other brothers and sisters. That's why Jesus in in Matthew chapter 5 and in Matthew chapter 18 is a few examples already begins to describe his followers as brothers and sisters to one another. It's a theme that the writers of the New Testament, Paul, Peter, John, James, they return to again and again and again. Here are just two of dozens of examples that you can find on virtually every page in the letters in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul writes, love one another with brotherly affection. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Peter writes, love the brotherhood, literally it says, We could translate that, love your brothers and sisters in Christ, or love your spiritual siblings. Let me just remind you of the unique quality of sibling affection. Sharon and I were just incredibly blessed over Memorial Day weekend to be together with our entire family, all of our kids and grandkids together just for a few days. And it was so incredibly fun for us as parents to watch our kids interact with one another. And as our four kids have gotten married or are getting ready to get married, those four have gone now essentially to eight, all siblings together with one another. And this weekend, we watched them navigating rambunctious dogs and crying babies and challenging schedules and finicky food preferences and a rampant stomach virus that hit virtually all of us. We watched Corey holding Molly's hand as they talked together, Sean showing John Matthew. His new Oculus virtual reality system, Brandon and Dylan playing cornhole together, Christy teaching uh, Michelle how to cook one of her favorite recipes in the kitchen. We saw all eight of them sitting around the table and telling stories and laughing together. Eight siblings pursuing each other's hearts Seeking and asking each other's opinions, working through disagreements, putting each other first, enjoying each other's company. That's a picture of the sibling affection that God intends will mark the family of God. And I am confident that the delight that we enjoyed as mom and dad in that picture, watching that sibling affection, is nothing compared to the delight that God has when He sees that sort of affection among us. Jesus says, Love for our brothers and sisters is the mark of the Christian family. Not love as an outcome of hopefully, eventually discovering some compatible personalities with a few people, or maybe finding common ground with a few others. Our love for each other is our starting point. Grounded not in common ground, but in common faith. There was a, a Christian writer in about 250 AD who was writing to Christians and sharing with them the things that he was hearing non-Christians say about them. His name is Marcus Felix, and this is what he said people were saying. They love each other almost before they even meet. Which makes perfect sense when we remember that we're already brothers and sisters, even before we've met one another for the first time. This call to love one another isn't, it turns out, a strange right-hand turn in Jesus' final hours. It is the natural extension of God's love between us. And it is the mark of Christian fellowship. All right, so here's a second possible way that some of these words, uh, these words love one another, may have struck you and caused you some misgiving. Maybe this strikes you as an unexpected and an unwelcome burden. Jesus is saying, okay, folks, I'm going to pack up and head out in a few hours. Uh, Before I go, though, let me just saddle you with one additional burden. It may feel like that just a little bit. As though life following Jesus wasn't already difficult enough, here he gives us this additional expectation, and it's a hard one. We've been studying this biblical word, agape, long enough to know that this is not a light request that Jesus puts in front of us. Loving you means I put you ahead of me. I think of you more highly than I do myself. You matter more than I do. I consider your needs more important than my own. I'm willing to put you first, even when it costs me, and it will. Love always means sacrifice, as we've said again and again and again. That's a challenging call. Does he really expect me to be able to do that? I mean, look, my life is already busy and complicated enough without having to, to think about others in that sort of a way. So maybe there's a party that's responding to this command in that way. But just a couple of things to notice in this passage that I think are actually really encouraging here. First, this word command might actually be better translated charge. I and mean, we think about it, if somebody gives a charge to someone else, it's a person who is in relationship with that person, usually in a relationship of authority, and they are entrusting something to that other person that is important to them. They're entrusting them with a, a responsibilities, so a continued outworking of the relationship that they share. And I think that's how we're meant to hear this. And the word, this is really interesting, the word literally means in the end. Jesus is saying, here's how to live with God's end in mind and to live into what God intended and designed from the start. This is so much more than a rule to be obeyed. This is an invitation more and more To live into what God designed for us as human beings. Jesus says, I am leaving you with a new way of living towards the fulfillment of God's best. And that really is the essence of Christian hope, isn't it? When you think about it, it is always about leaning into God's design. Leaning into his promised future reality. God fulfilling His design for us individually as followers of Christ, transforming us more and more into the likeness of Christ. God fulfilling His design for us as a new people, transforming us together into a new humanity, people from every tongue and tribe and language and nation united in our shared love of God. God fulfilling His design for the whole of creation, transforming this world into a new heaven and a new earth inhabited by a new humanity, which is us. So when Jesus commands us to love one another, he isn't saddling us with a new rule. He is entrusting us with the privilege of living into the way that he anticipates and promises for the life to come. Here's a really helpful second thing to notice uh, related to this misgiving. And that is that this is not meant to be a responsibility that is placed on a single individual. Jesus doesn't walk into that room with us and one other person or us and every other person and turn to us and single us out and say, now you figure out how to love everybody else. Okay, go do it. I loved you. Your turn. Go love everybody else. It isn't all on you. This is meant to be an invitation held before all of us to share in together. One another in the Greek literally just says other, other. Love, other, other. Love each one, love each one. I think that's helpful for us to realize that Jesus wants us to hear this is not a solo venture that he is burdening us with. This is a mutual, reciprocal, interwoven, shared care for each other. He gives the charge to all of us together and suddenly what could sound like a huge burden becomes a huge blessing. This isn't what we have to do, this is what we get to do. Let me just give you a taste of that. I've shared with you about my uh, really fun relationship with my next door neighbor, Ryan. Uh, at one point, I think I described this to you, he, uh, he put some homemade beer and some homemade bacon on our front step and shot me a text that said, uh, ninja delivery, uh, check your front porch. And so we went out and discovered that. And so we loaded up a plate with some brownies and cookies and took it over. And I said, "Ajnin delivery, which is ninja reversed, um, going the other direction. Uh, and since that time, we have started back and forthing in these kind of gifts and, and expressions of thoughtfulness in a way that has been just a ton of fun for us. Coffee, brownies, cookies, bunt cakes, uh, smoked meat, uh, power sprayer, home improvement project tips, grabbing packages for one another when we're away off of each other's porches, uh, lo- uh, helping out with moving stuff in each other's houses. I mean, that's just kind of the start of the list of what we share together. I've already got a great one, sorry. That mutuality, I will tell you this, there is absolutely no part of my relationship with Ryan that feels like a burden. It just feels like a joy. It has this kind of, what's going to happen next dimension to it. That mutuality makes it a joy. And that is the sort of thing that Jesus intends that we would enjoy with one another. He gives this invitation, this charge to us as a gift for us. Here's just the one other thing to notice that I think is important to realize related to this this second misgiving. And that is um, that it could feel a little bit like Jesus is scolding us. He's saying, all right, now, here's something I want you to start doing. Would you get on with this? But actually, because of the verb tense, this word is probably better translated, keep on loving one another. Jesus essentially is saying, I see your love for each other, and I love it. Keep it up. I see what you're already doing. Let your love for each other to continue to define your interactions with each other. And wow, is that ever true of this covenant family. I love watching how you care for one another. And it is only growing and deepening as we keep leaning into God's call for us to to become a church that's known more for its love than for anything else. I love this defining quality of who this church family is as a people of God. Jesus wants us to hear this as an encouragement to carry on, to continue on, to keep leaning into God's design for us. We've talked about how the church is like a colony of heaven. We are citizens of one realm who live in another realm, but we conduct ourselves on the basis of a completely different set of values and priorities and customs than the world surrounding us. And the code of the colony is so simple. There's just one rule in the Constitution. Love one another. It's what James in James 2, 8 calls the royal law of love. The second half of verse 34 says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So this brings us to uh, what might be a third hesitation or misgiving as you hear Jesus walk into the room, look at you, look at the other person, and say, love one another. And, And that is that it could sound like Jesus is saying that this is something we need to pull up from within ourselves and make happen, that it's something that we need to muster up through our own effort. Okay, I did all of this for you, now it's your turn. Let's see your love for each other. I think it's important that we recognize that it is true that when Jesus says, as I have loved you, love one another, he is saying, follow my pattern as best you can, seek to conform your life to the pattern of my life and death in your interactions with each other. And the way that Jesus loved us is absolutely stunning and amazing. First John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Just hear those words. Jesus laid down his life for us. That's the pattern. That's meant to be the defining pattern that shapes our interactions at some level with each other. Costly love is at the heart of the gospel. What riches of kindness he lavished on us, his blood was the payment, his life was the cost. So if costly love is the heart of the gospel, costly love will be the living out of the gospel life as well. We who follow Jesus are called to follow his sacrificial pattern of life and death. But, and this is so important for us to hear this, Jesus doesn't just give us a model and a pattern and say, go do it. When Jesus says, as I have loved you, that also means from the very same source of my love, out of my love for you, love one another. He doesn't just give us a model, he gives us the power by which to live out that model. He doesn't just call us into a life of love and leave the burden on us. He empowers us for that life of love by his spirit. That's the essence of Romans chapter five, verse four, which says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. In his wonderful commentary on John's gospel, Dale Bruner says, God no, doesn't say that. He says this, keep on, this is how he translates this passage. Keep on loving one another, Out of the well of my love for you. That is Jesus' invitation. Love isn't something that's a mustered up means to an end. It's not a white knuckled tight muscle method to achieve a goal. Love doesn't find its source in us at all. We are conduits, every one of us. And our love is the outworking and the overflowing of the heart of God for us. So far from this being a, a one-dimensional obligation on our part, Jesus saying, go love, get on with it. This is a, a living into a three-dimensional expression of the love of God. His love sets the pattern and is the source for ours. Our love is the mirror and is the fulfillment of his. And as others see and receive our love, they experience his. I try to capture that three-dimensionality of Of love that is at work in this passage with this quick drawing. Not that one, that one. Jesus says, You are now a new person. Love is now your new nature. Love one another. John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let me just conclude by addressing one other misgiving that may be surfaced as you hear this expression, love one another. Let me just open this up real quickly because I think this is an important one. One other hesitation that you may register as you hear Jesus saying, this is my command, love one another, is you may find yourself saying, isn't that command just a little bit ingrown? Isn't it a little self-serving? Church, love the church. Maybe that's something that you find yourself feeling. But what that concern fails to recognize is the magnetic drawing power of love to its source. When we love one another with Jesus' love, we reveal the presence of Jesus in our midst. We put the love of God on display. First John chapter 4, verse 12 captures the mystery of this in such a powerful way. When it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, then God lives in us. He is alive in our midst and his love is made complete in us. Our love becomes the the continued expression of God's love. So when Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, he isn't just saying, hey, this is going to be one of your distinguishing marks, kind of like a bunch of shirts we all wear that match. though it is meant to be one of our distinguishing marks, Jesus is actually echoing language that first begins to show up in the book of Exodus and then is echoed all through the Old Testament in which God talks about revealing himself to the world, God revealing his own saving power and putting his own glory on display through his actions so that all the world may know. Jesus is echoing, picking up that same language. This isn't a recommendation from God. This is a revelation of God. When we love each other, just hear. What, let this sink in. Hear what this says. When I love you, God reveals God. When you love each other, God reveals God. Dale Bruner is absolutely right when he says the mutually lived out heart love of Christians for one another will be the single greatest missionary force in the world. Some of you have heard me say this, I'm convinced that we are beginning to enter into what I think will be a long and challenging era in our country when only our love will draw the unbelieving world to God. Not our programs and not our methods I think we are entering back into a moment like those those first couple centuries in the early church when our love for one another will become the only thing that will turn the eyes of the world to God and reveal Jesus in our midst. Jesus expects us to be known in this world for our love for the church. For the deep affection that we have for one another for the deep affection with which we speak of one another. Bruner speaks of the attractive power of communities of love. So another person writing as a Christian to Christians in the early centuries of the church, Tertullian, writing in about 200 AD, said this is another thing that unbelievers are saying about the Christians who surround them. They are saying, look, see how much they love each other, how ready they are even to die for one another. More and more in our post-Christian world, this will be the one thing that we have to offer the world that is of real relevance to it. And what greater thing could we offer than the love of God? Our love for one another and the unity that it brings among us is a pivotal and non-negotiable part of our witness to who this God is that we love and trust and serve. As we love one another, we put the love of God on display. We reveal Jesus present in our midst. Why is it so important that we love? Well, what was the truest thing of all about Jesus' dealings with us? It was his love for us, wasn't it? Given its full measure on the cross. So when we live out his love, we unveil him. We reveal him. We put his presence and love on display. So let's just return again for a moment to that opening image. There you are in all of your shortcomings and complexities and beauty and gifting and uniqueness. And in comes somebody else. Here is your brother or your sister in Christ. And then in comes Jesus and says to both of you, with joy, love one another. Having heard this word perhaps in a new and fresh and deeper way, what do you think now? What is God's invitation to you, to us together today? What are you hearing God say to you? Pray with me. Lord, just when we think that we have kind of gotten gotten the whole Christian faith figured out, and gotten our arms around it, you come and again put your arms around us and you flatten us with your love. What mercy and grace is this with which you have loved us. Oh Lord, make us conduits of that love for this world.